Today is Sunday, December 20th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 387, featuring Boston Sports Journal Celtics Beat writer Brian Robb, is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today for your exclusive sign-up bonus. What's up, everyone? Welcome in. The preseason is behind us. The regular season is coming. I've spread some sage all over the place. And let's talk Celtics basketball with Brian Robb, Evan Valenti. I am Adam Kaufman. Thank you. Welcome in. Happy early holidays. And hopefully you're enjoying a nice restful break before the new year comes around, obviously. How you fellas doing? Hanging in. Excited for some regular season basketball here. Yeah, just a few days away, of course, today, as I mentioned, Sunday. Who knows when you're listening to it? Maybe it's uh, even later in the week than that at this point. But the games begin on Wednesday, the Celtics' first action after an 0-2 preseason that, let's be honest, uh, we know how preseason works, regardless of the sport or team you root for. Wins, losses, those don't matter. It's flow of the game and indications of how individuals do and trends and things like that that you try and decipher and that actually matter and in this particular case it's hard be robbed to get a gauge on this team right now Evan and I were talking about this off air and uh, you know it's it's nothing you haven't thought about obviously just the fact that hey Kemba Walker he's hurt he's not going to be ready for the start of the regular season either but he didn't play in either of these preseason games neither Tristan Thompson who was their big free agent acquisition uh, Romeo Langford is sideline. That's a guy that down the road could be part of the rotation as well. So it's just, it's, it's hard to really examine where they're at with the regular season coming up. No, no question. And on top of all that, you have a super condensed training camp. Mm-hmm. So that leaves you just two preseason games to work with with footage. Um, and that opens up so you don't and then with like guy like Tristan Thompson now you don't see the combinations you'd want to see heading into the regular season so factor that in with obviously uh the team's core had a very long run during last year's season so they are in a very quick turnaround and from an energy standpoint in the preseason they clearly weren't there yet so how do you evaluate that how much credit do you give those guys being like okay they're going to obviously turn it on when they need to turn it on versus you know, Gordon Hayward's gone, Kemba Walker's gone, like the shots are going to be, the easy looks are not going to be as easy to come by this year. So balancing all that into play, like, like you guys said, like it's really tough to to get a great read on where this team is at. But there's no mistake, like they, they weren't in, Brad Stevens isn't happy after the, the preseason and it's hard to blame him. Is there something that you've watched so far that you have seen that you that you can make some you know heads or tails out of that worries you just that one big concern going into the season that goes beyond injury yeah I mean I think the a clear one is what happens when Jason Tam's on the bench um to the (laughs) offense (laughs) like because last year you know he the Tatum plus bench unit was very successful and that meant when that happened you could pile up three starters together you know, Smart, Brown, I mean, Smart was coming off the bench half the time, but Smart, Brown, Hayward, Kemba, and then that would be obviously a pretty good unit too. Now two of those guys are not around for the start of the season and, and Kemba and Hayward, obviously. So uh, the, the Smart, Jalen Brown, and other guy minutes have not gone great. And they're not going to go great if those guys aren't hitting shots. So I think that is going to be 
an issue this year. And you, you have to, I think the, the coaching staff is going to be doing plenty of mixing and matching to see who can kind of fit around those guys and make those minutes where the team can hold its own for the, whatever the 12 or 15 minutes a game that Tim's on the bench, but it's um, those are going to be critical because I think, you know, you don't take anything out of a, a preseason game, but um, I think the the plus minus splits in those two preseason games with Tatum on and off the bench were, were not good. Yeah. I think Tatum was like, I, I Grandy had it. So if you want to fact check me, go ahead. But Tatum on the floor was the only reason why the Celtics were plus anything in any of the two preseason games. So I, I, to echo your sentiment here, uh, B Rob, it's, it's not pretty when Tatum goes to the bench and you look around at this team and, you know, with no Kemba, where does the relief come? Is it going to be a Jeff Teague? Like, and, and Teague I thought was pretty great. And Adam, you know, our last show was all over the Teague acquisition. He's actually been all over ever since that was uh, official, quote unquote. Um, but if you're relying on Jeff Teague and maybe a little Peyton Pritchard here and there and, and Marcus Smart to get hot at some point, like there's just, there's a little big bit of a concern in terms of what you can produce off the bench um, you know, when, when your star player goes out. And for me, uh, Brian, you got to look to Jalen Brown and say, Hey, like, this is, this is your time here. Like this is a time where you need to, to, to be aggressive and to, to hunt your shots and get to the places on the floor where you think you're the most comfortable. And this is, I think an area in which, you know, for Brown, it's a little uncharted waters here, Brian, if, if, if I'm, and I'm a little concerned about, although, you know, Brown's been able to be one of the most consistent players, for the past couple of years, this is a, a point where Jalen Brown being the offensive focal point is, is going to be needed here. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. Just the margin of error is, is down for him this year. And mm-hmm. you know, that's, that can be, it, it's good. He's going to get more opportunity, which he has shown he deserves based on how he's, he's performed especially in the, in the postseason um, last year. Um, but at the same time, like defenses are going to be keen in on him more. And so, and he's not going to have, you know, Hayward or Kemba setting him up as much. So that's going to make life tougher for him. And so he, I know there's areas of his game he needs to, or he said he wants to work on this off season in terms, including like, you know, becoming a better distributor himself, you know, because I think you look at his assist rate, it is not good in his career. That's probably his weakest spot in the offensive end. So there's water for growth there. If they want to like, you know, they threw him in the pick and roll and think and have him handling the ball more and, He's gotten a lot better there, but he still has a long way to go on that front. So um, that's definitely, I agree with it. And that's a huge area to watch so far. And um, it's going to, you know, it's not going to make or break the team, but it's going to certainly make or break how the team does on certain nights. Boy, there was some obsession going on on social media watching those games, though, with Jalen Brown's passing as if he had just, you know, turned (laughs) some ridiculous corner a few months ago playing in the bubble to where he's at now. It was just that one pass, the one dump-off pass to Rob Williams. It was one pass. That was it. And the whole yeah. internet went nuts. It's like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, we never saw Jalen do that ever before. But, like, he's going to have to do a lot more of right. that if, if, if they're going to be really successful. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, you need to – doing things once in a preseason game, great. But doing it again and doing it without turning the ball over on the two other possessions, you're running the pick and roll. That's what's going to be the key here. So – I mean, they're going to have to find that out. It might be a situation where he's just not ready for that. And, you know, you, you, you can feature him in plenty of other ways. Obviously, he's very valuable off the ball and, you know, driving to the hoop. But um, you also have to be careful just not to ask too much out of him, too, because that's when you get some, you know, too much ISO and then some, some, some ugly shooting nights. 
what is i don't i'm trying to think of the right way to ask this question when it relates to young players with high expectations in the league like obviously jason tatum and jalen brown i mean these guys have you know save for like year two for tatum when everyone you know started to panic a little bit and say he had leveled off or whatever it was and then obviously takes that next next big leap last year people have are reaffirmed in the whole he can be and should be a superstar will be whatever it is and brown has shown incremental growth throughout his career where he could have been an all-star last year didn't pan out the numbers worked against him but absolutely you've him as a potential perennial all-star if all goes well these are still young guys and so something we talked about with mark murphy last week was you know when is the appropriate time is now the appropriate time to to really get nitpicky with these guys to say that okay on a given night these guys need to be better because it is their team now they are the leaders of the team in years past i don't think we rightfully focused a lot of attention on the fact that they're like anybody else were other aspects to their lives than basketball. Right. I mean, Tatum has deuce. He's got a young child. Like there's, there's no, uh, um, there's, there's no grazing over that having a kid, especially as a young professional who's trying to better his game. That's, I mean, that's a challenge, a good challenge and plenty of people have it, but it is a challenge. Brown clearly is, uh, you know, mature beyond his years and he's taken a role within the NBA PA or NBPA and, uh, and obviously away from that and in other charitable causes and obviously uh, social justice initiatives. And so many things are important to him as they should be outside of basketball. At what point in time do these guys, you know, is if, if there isn't that continued incremental growth, do you start to say, Okay, is is basketball enough of a priority? Do you know what I'm asking and and trying not to be offensive in the way that I'm asking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a situation where they're both young, so there's going to be a learning curve for both on the floor. So I don't I don't think either guy is at a point where, you know, you worry about any stuff with them off the court at all yet like because the the growth has been so great and there's no reasonable stop. And even this year, I don't think if like, again, like Tatum struggled like he did two years ago at the beginning of the year um, or Brown, I think Brown had a terrible shooting start to that same year too, when he got benched eventually 20 games in the year, like it's going to be a lot harder this year for them because look at the roster around them. And it's going to be as simple as that. Like when you look at what they're doing and the, the hope obviously from the Celtics standpoint is that they're going to get more opportunity. They're going to keep growing on the floor and that is going to make the Celtics better or at least be able to hold their own until Kemba Walker gets back and Romeo Langford gets back and the, the team is kind of made hold again. Um, but at the same time, like they could easily, you know, Tatum's going to be seeing all sorts of double teams all year. Um, Brown is his shots are, I don't think are going to come as easily. And so could either, you don't think, you know, are any of them taking a step back, at least in the short term, a possibility? Yeah, like it, that that totally could happen just based on the roster construction right, is right now. So honestly, I, you know, I wouldn't put that if that happens, I wouldn't really put that on them as much as like the environment around wow. them. Exactly. Yeah. And that that's a situation that, you know, we'll see what, you know, if Kemba comes back. I mean, it's, this is going to be a season that's it's about the long game, because once once you took those draft picks, um once you Kemba Walker got his stem cell injection, it became about the long game. So um, 
it's a matter, you know, we'll see again how really good enough they are right now to really, if they still come out of January with, you know, top four, top five in the East, that's going to be super impressive to me. So that in mind, playing the long game, this question for both of you. And, uh, you know, we've, Evan and I have asked plenty of previous guests, how concerned are you about Kemba Walker's knee in the long term of this contract with the Celtics? And you can weigh in on that by all means, but more in the short term of this season, 72 game regular season. Don't worry about the playoffs. 72 game regular season with the mindset of getting him ready for the postseason. How many games does he play in this year? If I set the over under at 48, you taking the over or the under? Under. Easy under. Because I don't think he's going to play back to backs when he's back. And so, and they say he's going to like, you know, January is a target to come back. We'll see. Like, if he's dealing with anything, like, they're going to push that back to February. They're going to be extra careful because they need to be, because this is it. Like, if if he can't get right this season, then that's not good for all sorts of reasons. So, 48 is um, an easy under, and I'm assuming Evan would agree with that, but tell me if I'm wrong about that, Evan. What number would you set on it? Well, I, I, I like the under here, but to just to kind of bring this back to the previous point, it's very important that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have good control of this team and are able to go off to a good start because if they can, you can delay the Kemba comeback a little bit more. Now, eventually Kemba's going to be like, I want to play basketball, and you know the doctor's going to clear him and all that stuff, and that's going to be great. But you would like to give Kemba as much time as humanly possible with this injury to come back and you know make sure he's fully recovered, make sure that they dial him up very carefully. You know, and Brad has talked about it, how they did it to start the bubble play. You know, they didn't want to ramp up his minutes to 35 right away. They want to give him, you know, sort of an escalator, so to speak. So to get back to that Jalen and Jason thing, it is imperative that those two get off to a great start and get this team clicking, you know, I know, I know their schedule right away. It's like, okay, you have the Bucks and the Nets to start. It's like, oh, great, you know, perfect. Uh, you have two of the top teams you expect to be uh, in your conference right from the jump. So, again, look, this team is going to get off to somewhat of a rocky start. That we all expect that. But when they hit January, hopefully they can create some distance between them and some other teams and, and, and win some games and give Kemba enough time to really heal because – you know, this is, you know, it's a short-term thing, but it's also a long-term thing here with Kemba. You have to keep that in mind. You have to keep him healthy for the next couple of years to get him through this contract. And, you know, we talked with Dr. P uh, two years ago mm. about Kemba, not Kemba, Kyrie's knee and how there's going to be tendonitis in that knee. I mean, there's just no question about it. It's already there. And managing that is going to be something you have to do going forward. It's the same thing here with Kemba. Like, you have to treat that injury very carefully and very delicately. You can't ramp him up. Otherwise, he's just going to be gone. You won't be able to use him. Um, And Kemba's game, because he's so short, is predicated on speed and shiftiness and and elusiveness in tight spaces. And if he doesn't have that, this team, their ceiling drops dramatically. So it's, I think it's under, I think B-Rob is right. I don't think they're going to play him in back-to-backs, at least not to start, maybe towards the end of the season. He's still a more comfortable, sure. But I I kind of don't expect to see him until February anyway, to be hmm. frankly honest with you. I just, I, I, I think normally everybody's optimistic with timelines when it comes to injuries. On this one, I would lean more pessimistic. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, if, well, just to go back to what I was asking you before, B-Rob, it, what number would you put on it just for fun? If uh, You think half a season, less than that? Yeah, I'd say like 42. We'll yeah. say 
he misses a month and a half before he comes back period. And then there'll be sporadic, you know, time off for the rest of the season. All right. Yeah, maybe, don't, maybe don't play him against the Knicks or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was, he thought about signing there anyway. We got a lot more to get to, including some of your questions that we uh, were able to get off of Twitter. We'll get to those a little mailbag action toward the back half of the show. But first got to tell you, of course, NFL football, Continuing this week as we chat, the Patriots, matter of fact, just before we came on, eliminated from the playoffs for the first time since 2008. So that's great. Uh, A few surprise teams at the top of the standings. You might not be at a game this year. You can still be in on the action at Bet Online and focusing this back on the NBA. Odds to win a championship. The Lakers, who I and others would argue are actually better now than they were in the bubble, plus 250 to win a championship. The Nets, plus 650 and i'm waiting for that thing to implode the uh clippers are same plus 650 as well that i think is go ahead lay your money down i'd wait till that drops though because i don't think they're going to be hanging out toward the top for very long bucks at 650 Giannis re-signing he's uh committed to a future there for the next handful of years celtics plus 1400 which feels about right if we're being honest celtics over under for wins again a 72 game season 44 and a half. Let's do this quick. 44 and a half, boys. Over or under? Under. Evan? This is a tough, that's a good number. <laughs> that's a good number. That's why, that's why the odds makers do it. Um, just for the sake of, of argument, I'll go over on that one, but not not too much. Um, it, but Unless Jalen and Jason are rock solid from day one. I'm going to go under barely over 40, but under the 44 and a half winning the East plus 650, winning the Atlantic plus 275. No easy task either. No matter how schedules change or players that play bet on lines, going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every single game this season with the fastest updated odds in the entire industry. There are always more options to wager on than uh, anywhere else online as well. You can head to bet online today. Take advantage of all the great mid season bonuses, offers and contests bet online your online sportsbook experts. So, B-Rob, let's pick up with uh, some of what we were just discussing in the midst of the BOL ad, which is, where does this team rank in relation to the rest of the conference? Never mind the NBA, but the conference, because as we know, plenty of teams around the Celtics improved. They've had their preseasons. We were able to dip in on those, obviously got our first look at the Nets with Kyrie and with Durant, and Durant certainly looking like he hasn't missed a step after missing all of last year. Irving, for the most part, looked pretty good as well. So, uh, you know, where is this team, especially when you consider everything that we've talked about with regard to especially Kemba Walker's injury, where are they in the pantheon of the Eastern Conference? I think I put them right in the, the middle of the playoff picture right now, like four or five. Um, I think Brooklyn's ahead of them. Um, I was kind of waiting on what Kevin Durant looked like before making that proclamation, but um, I've seen enough. I, that, that looks like Kevin Durant to me. Um, I know it's just preseason, but like he he's doing everything he wants to do um, pretty close to the level you, he's probably used to doing it at. So you got them, you got Milwaukee, um, who are healthy. I like the Drew Holiday edition. That's again, it's a kind of high risk, high reward for them, but they got Giannis back there. So they're not going to have distractions. They're going to be kind of in good shape. And heat. I think uh, Heat, yeah, I think Heat is the other team that I put just in front of them right now based on, again, the moves they made this offseason. They lost a couple guys, but they also added some, some important pieces as well in terms of bench depth. And they have so much youth there, you expect all those guys to get better. And they don't have like a, a big injury like the Celtics do to start the year. So 
those three are there. And then you have, you know, Philly, I think is going to be right around that four or five spot. You know, Indy, I expect to be kind of in that mix. Raptors. And yeah, it's Raptors too. Like that, those are all like, we'll see. I don't expect all those teams to be good, but like, it's hard to tell right now which one of those teams is going to fall out of it. Cause from a talent level standpoint, they're all, I think right there. So like I said, this version of the Celtics, when Kemba Walker comes back, that, that changes. But if the Celtics have this version of their team for the first, you know, two months of the series season, then yeah. We like could be talking about a seven or eight seed. Exactly. Like that's not well, far-fetched. I, I want to get into the, the, not even just the conference. So look at their division. Like the, is the Atlanta division, the best division in basketball this year. You have the Celtics, Nets, Philly, in Toronto, and I know the Knicks being there kind of just kind of levels them down a little bit. But you have four teams there that are all playoff worthy. Whether they make it or not, we'll see. Like with Toronto, you know, I, I respect the hell out of Nick Nurse, you know, Kyle Lowry and, and Siakam and OG and Anobi, you know, losing both Gasol and Ibaka, tough. But, you know, they still have a lot of championship pedigree there with those guys. Obviously, Brooklyn and Kyrie and KD, they're going to be the playoffs. It's a matter of what, what seed. And you have – the Sixers with Joel Embiid, Doc Rivers, Ben Simmons, they have a sort of a retooled roster and Boston's right there. So, you know, Boston's going to really have a dogfight this year in their division. They might not be totally used to it over the years. But this year, I think that's the most competitive division in all of basketball, especially without question in the Eastern Conference. But, you know, the Western Conference is always stacked certain ways and they have a bunch of guys out there that are, are going to compete for playoff spots. But that Eastern you know, conference in that division specifically, Brian, I, I think it's going to be an absolute dogfight all the way through. Yeah. I think it's a great point by you. Cause you're again, you're, you're facing all those teams four times. And so that does not help, you know, for the Celtics, their schedules already going to be tough enough as is out of the gate, but they're probably going to have one of the tougher schedules front to back than any team in the East based off of that, you know, divisional alignment. So it's, you know, for a very long time, like the Western conference was the superior conference. I think we're reaching a point now where if the East is not on even footing, they might even be better from like one to eight in the playoff picture, at least because mm-hmm. there's some, you know, especially if James Harden ends up in the Eastern conference too, which looks like right. it could happen sooner rather than later. Oh, I'm glad you brought him up because I'm sure you both saw this tweet from John Granado. Who's no, in- really? Are we doing this? We're going to do it from ESPN 97.5 in Houston. The man, if you read him on Twitter, he loves his wife, kids, golf, course, light, and poker, and no one is sure in what order, says, <laughs> an impeccable source, not just a source, an impeccable source, says the Raptors and the Celtics are the favorites right now for James Harden. It'd be a package for Pascal Siakam and more, or Jalen Brown and more. Clearly the and more, because mathematically it just has to work that way. Let's, for a moment entertain what i think is lunacy i don't think the celtics are in the mix for james harden but please i invite both of you to tell me if i'm wrong about that i'm not saying danny ainge hasn't or wouldn't inquire i think that's you know it's part of his makeup it's also part of his job to do his due diligence i just don't think it's a reality I, i really do not there's no part of me now Granted, if you asked me this a couple of years ago, would I have thought Kyrie Irving was coming to Boston in August? The answer would have been no. So I, you know, I, I will fully admit that. But I do not believe James Harden is coming to Boston. I don't think there is a, I think there was a better chance of the Patriots eking out a playoff spot this year when they had 2% odds than James Harden coming to Boston. And also just to, you know, I don't know, f- further respond to the tweet, I suppose. 
and and I know plenty of people would disagree with me on this. This is just my belief. I don't think Danny Ainge would trade Jalen Brown for James Harden. I really don't. Um, it depends what kind of James Harden you're like. If if James Harden wants to come here, then yes, they do that trade. Um, whether year. what's that? Even for one year, like James. Well, Harden. he's got. Got well, you got two. Right? You got two. You got two years. You got two years on his deal still. Okay. So you got two years, and then a huge player option, which he may or may not give up yet. So I mean, it's not like a slam dunk. Like you know, obviously Jalen's got four years left at a good price. Um, his his uh, you know age matches up much better with Tatum than than Jason Hayden, Jason um, than Harden does, obviously. Mm. Um, but I mean, Harden. I mean, Jalen Brown's a very good player. James Harden is. A perennial oh, top a far five. superior player. I just think if you know, it depends on what you're building toward. Are are you really trying to win right now or next year? Then sure, you know, you you start to think about a James Harden more realistically in terms of Jalen Brown. But if you're if you're really trying to plan this next window out with Tatum and Brown as being your guys, it doesn't make sense. Right, and so that's where again the where what's what's Harden's head where's his head at, and that's like strip club. I mean, that's the, the tracker says it's not in a good spot. And that's why the Celtics aren't going to, you know, offer what needs to be offered for them to, to get a deal done here. But yeah, like I do think that if, and uh, the, all reports are that, you know, the Celtics have done their due diligence and are not interested for that reason. And again, Kyrie Irving serving as kind of the, the warning tale, if you will, of, mm-hmm. of trading for the star who has two years left on their deal. Um, but has questions about, you know, their character and things like that, like, or just like how, you know, all the baggage he brought with him and that we, we all saw how that turned out. So doing, so giving up Jalen Brown for that on, and I think honestly, you'd, you'd have to it'd be a situation where it'd be Brown and smart um, for a, a deal that the Rockets would actually take um, if you're going to make it. Um, yeah. Like the, I don't think the Suns will do that unless they think that Harden is, you know, all in and, happy to be here, which it sounds like would not be the case. Yeah, that's the tough part. But the one thing I'll say this, I think James, people forget already that just a few years ago that if they don't go super cold from three or if Chris Ball is going to hurt, they likely, you know, go toe to toe with the Warriors, maybe win that game seven, go on to the NBA finals and maybe win a championship. So you're talking about the Kevin Durant led Warriors with, with Curry, Clay and Dre that's one of the best teams we've ever seen. And, and James went toe to toe with that team. So you're getting a way better player than Kyrie Irving. You're getting a, a head case, no question, but you're getting just a way better player. And Adam's point of, you know, it kind of points to what window you're doing, right? If you, if you acquire James Harden, that means you're trying to win right now. And if you don't, you know, you're, you're more likely trying to play the long game. The thing with Harden is with the exception of Brooklyn, the team that acquires James that acquires James Harden acquires the best player on their team, and that I'll even throw that uh, if if Boston were to acquire James Harden, Harden would be their best player right from the jump. And I don't mean to disparage you know people uh, that love Tatum a lot, and Tatum's yeah, a great Tatum's player, but Tatum's not quite there yet. I mean, he's a good defensive player, but the stuff that James Harden does on offense is unbelievable. Okay, um, if he if he went to Philly, he'd be the best player in Philly. If he went to Miami, he'd be the best player in Miami, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So whoever acquires him is probably acquiring the best player. And in a in a what is now an arms race in the Eastern Conference, Danny knows that you need star power to win. And again, I'm not advocating for trading for James Harden because I just don't think he fits what this team is. 
you know, he's not a defensive first player. Boston tends to like those guys, the guys that can play defense, you know, and kind of learn a little bit as they go. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Romeo Langford, all, I think, examples of that, where Smart can play defensively from day one. You know, he's a guy that stayed on the floor because he could play defense. Jalen Brown came in and out. His his minutes early on were spotty. You know, Romeo Langford, once everybody realized he could play defense, he saw a lot of time, and he started to kind of get comfortable out there. James Harden doesn't feel like that kind of player. That being said, he would be arguably the best player in the Eastern Conference. Um, if you were to come East, uh, he'd be the best player on your team. And if you're if all you care about is winning a title, then you make that deal. And Danny knows that star players win in this league. He obviously has made trades for stars in the past, worked out with Kev, uh, Kevin Garnett, didn't work out with Kyrie Irving. You know, if you're, if you're batting 500, that's not so bad. I don't think they match up on a deal, but if they were to do it, um, I think people would, would get on the James Harden train pretty quick because I think they would they would love the fact that he can score 30 a game very effortlessly. It's kind of hard to believe that we've gone this far into the show without Oh, well, hold on, hold on. Kaufman, you gotta give you gotta give me a take on something. You gotta have I like did, you I want did. I, I said that Danny Ainge wouldn't do it, and it's not the right guy. No, either. but would but would you do it, Adam? This is my question. No, I don't want James Harden. I think James okay. Harden's a quitter. I think he's one of the the greatest offensive players in the history of the NBA. I think he's incredibly lackadaisical. And, uh, you know, the, the give a bleep meter is very low when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. I think that he had a lot of talent around him in Houston, not to say that they were up to the level of the, you know, Golden States and some of the teams they had to compete with. You know, Daryl Morey built those teams as best he could. He had a lot of talent around him, Russell Westbrook included, another prima donna, obviously. But, you know, he couldn't take never mind his game his game was fine he couldn't take the team to the next level there are aspects of his game I can't stand which are today's NBA in general like I I have I just have no desire as a fan like as a viewer of basketball on a daily basis I have no interest in watching a guy who takes a dozen three-pointers a game that's just that's that's not for me it's not good looking basketball it's it's just not pleasing to the eye but obviously he hits a a good chunk of them and he shoots a good percentage and he's going to keep doing it and he would keep doing it even if he didn't I just don't uh, when I think about culture, when I think about influence, impact, grooming Tatum for, you know, his next steps and, and you know, uh, plenty of people were panicked by the idea of Tatum learning at the heels of, of Kyrie Irving. Well, I kind of feel the same way about James Harden. That's just not a guy to me that, that I want to come in and, as you said, Evan, instantly be my best player and having everyone kind of kowtow to this guy. He got his way year after year after year in Houston and never in the grand scheme of things really won anything like 50 win seasons are great and you can have a whole bunch of them but ultimately what are you remembered for and he's you know fair or unfair you know kind of Charles Barkley like he's going to be remembered at least as of now for not winning yeah my, my point though is like if you go back a few years and you look at what he did against that that he's that uh that Golden State series I mean he's clearly capable of getting there yeah and him and Chris Paul got very close to it could him and Tatum get that team close to it the the flip side is and and b-rob i think touched on this smart's probably going if that's the deal so can you can you get to a title with harden and tatum but your roster and and does kemba fit on that team where does kemba fit in the whole equation with harden on the team because kemba's a lead ball handler yeah and what what does kemba get relegated to a sixth man brian how does that work yeah i mean you can start kemba and Harden together but i mean there's like you said you're that's the guys that are best with the ball in their hands. So it's, it's, 
you, it'd be great for managing it over 48 minutes and when like resting one of those guys when you need to. Um, but yeah, it, would it be the perfect fit? It's so it certainly defensively, it would be quite the challenge in the backcourt if, if Kemba Walker and James Harden is your starting one and two. So that, um, but at the same time, they could be good enough offensively in, in theory, if, if Kemba's right, where it wouldn't matter. Um, so that again, that's, that's a situation where, and to be honest, guys, like, I think the, if, if the Celtics do end up showing any interest here, um, I think what you also have to think about in the situation, like you, you don't even think of making a deal with this unless like Tatum is fully on board with it. I think that also comes down to that too, because you're, you're not gonna, you know, if you're not going to bring in a guy that might, that Tatum's not thrilled about in this situation when you just kind of hand him the keys to the franchise with this extension. So, um, that's something that, you know, none of us probably are going to know until something does or doesn't happen. Well, and you also, and B-Rob said this before, but just to kind of take it to the next level, you have to know, and I don't mean believe, like they, when the Celtics traded for Kevin Garnett, they believed he would fall in love with the culture and want to stay, and that that happened. They believed the same of Kyrie Irving, and it didn't happen. You have to know, which is more than believing, based on what you'd be giving up, two of three guys who are really part of your core. And I know Smart is not Tatum or Brown. Don't confuse what I'm saying. But the guy is valuable. People like to argue whether or not he's part of your core. He's part of your core. So if you're giving up two of the three guys who are part of your core, sorry, Kemba, but really it's a three-man core, really, when you're talking about the here and now and the future. Kemba's not the future. Smart is still young enough to be part of the future. If you're giving up two of the three pieces who really resemble what you view your core to be, you got to know James Harden is invested in being here and wants to be here for the long term, not just coming in on a rental and seeing how he feels about the place. And I don't think, I, I just don't see how you could possibly even get that kind of answer from him, other than the fact he just knows he doesn't want to be in Houston anymore. Yeah, I mean, you, that would be something where you have to, behind the scenes, figure that out, talk to the right people through intermediaries, and then figure out where he stands on it. And I have no doubt if the Celtics have real interest, like they'll do that. I mean, with Garnett, it was a totally different situation. Like that was a, they got an extension as they traded for him. So that was, he was signed, so delivered. That's not going to be possible here uh, based on Harden's current contract. You're not going to be able to tack on more years. So that's, you're going to be going on it, like kind of flying blind, like they were with Kyrie. And and you're talking about, you know, if you're going to compare KG and James Harden, I mean, you're talking about a guy, Kevin Garnett, who might be the lo- most loyal guy in like an NBA history, or at least in right. recent memory. Yeah. You know, that guy is loyal to probably several faults. Anything. Right. He does. Yeah. But, I mean, and, you can't and, compare those guys. It's that's just really like just from a contractual comparison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just, it's just different. And and but you're right though. You have to you have to when you trade for James Harden, you're mortgaging several things. You might be mortgaging your culture along with it, right? And in, in trading Marcus Smart, you're trading a ginormous part of the culture. Like Smart's the the longest tenured Celtic at this point, and it feels a little weird to say that, but also we've we've grown with him a little bit. But he brings that same you know sort of defensive intensity that that KG brought when he changed everything you know back in 2008. So you're losing a big part of your culture when you trade Marcus Smart. And I think the Celtics really value that. And again. I love James Harden. I'm like the one of the few people that enjoys watching him play because I, I, I like the chess match that he brings. Some of the stuff that he does drives me absolutely crazy, but I understand he's a very talented player. But at the end of the day, 
I don't think Boston should do this. And I've waffled on this, and I will admit this, and I've waffled on this. At first, I was all for this because I thought, you know, James Harden coming over is just from a talent perspective is a no-brainer. But some of the stuff that you see from a a chemistry standpoint, and is he the right fit? Like things that Boston actually should care about, I, you have to consider. And when you factor all that stuff in, I just think this is – I think it's a bad, a bad fit for James Harden. I think wherever he goes, um, unless he goes to maybe Brooklyn, which I am praying oh. to the basketball gods, the Kyrie for James Harden trade happens no. because all, it will all, melt down the internet. I want all the internet three. will melt down. No, you can't. No, because if you're if Brooklyn can't get Brooklyn can't be any offer that Philly throws out there unless they put Kyrie on the table. You're not. Ben Simmons is just a much more attractive piece. Than anything that Brooklyn has to offer, unless it's Kyrie. And even then, I still think I want Ben Simmons more than I want Kyrie Irving because I think I can build a much better team around Simmons than I can (laughs) Kyrie Irving. But if it's financially whatever, and if you're Tillman Fertitta trying to get, you know, some sort of financial advantage and and maybe save some money, maybe the Kyrie thing's a thing. But I am just, I would absolutely die if at the end of the day, Kyrie gets traded for James Harden because the internet and Twitter will, it'll be the best day in Twitter history. I guarantee it. Here comes another media blackout by Kyrie Irving. Love it. <laughs> we haven't uh, really, even in, in the interest of time, uh, there's still some things I want to get to in the next 10 minutes or so before we're done. But uh, one of them, we haven't even really talked about the rookies at all. And obviously these first rounders, Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard. If you would ask me, uh, B-Rob, I, I think this is probably true for all three of us, but definitely me. If, if you would ask me back when they were drafted, draft night, you know, it, which guy is going to be more impactful to start the season of these two? Far and away, it would have been Neesmith. I, I wouldn't give that a second thought. But everything that has, you know, come out since, whether it's what we've seen in games, the way these guys are talked about, the way it, it sounds as though – based on coaches, teammates, that they're kind of getting up to speed and getting comfortable. seems like Pritchard is the guy, at least out of the gate, that is going to serve a larger role. That says nothing of the entire season and, and for the future of their NBA careers. But, you know, in these opening weeks of the season, it seems like Pritchard's the one. Yeah, I mean, I think from a, from a needs standpoint, it would have been better if, if Neesmith was that guy, just based on what the depth chart looks like. Um, but... I mean, he only played in college for a year and a half and then got hurt. So he's obviously hasn't played basketball since January in five on five situations competitively until this past week. So that it, it makes sense that why the learning curve would be a little bit longer for him right now versus a four year guy in Pritchard who was one of the best players in college basketball last year. Like when you draft a guy like that um, at the end of the first round, who's, you know, upside may be limited. That's the, you know, the other side of the coin is that, okay, he's, he probably has a good chance of like being able to, you know, come in right away and be what, you know, the Southerners probably hoped like Carson Edwards was, would have been last year. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the buzz is real, like from just talking to people around the organization from just hearing guys like Marcus Smart talk about Pritchard and, you know, we, for as good as he looked against the Sixers in spots, like I think we got, you know, people got a breath of dose of reality, I should say during that Nets game when, you know, the the five bench players rolled up against the Brooklyn starters in that third quarter, that was, did not go ugly from a, from a variety of fronts. And Pritchard was one of them. Like that's, you know, it's, that's part of the package there. He's not going to be rules here, but he is, he's someone that um, 
I think defensively is further along than I thought he would be at this point. He like, he seems pretty high Q on that end, which I think is big, which is going to get him on the floor. Um, especially if he shows he can, you know, do okay against some, some wings that are a little bit bigger than him. And so between for, a, uh, an offense that's going to be starved to, for production without Tatum on the floor, I think it's safe to say that Pritchard has earned at least a spot on the rotation most nights in the early going, it seems like. I thought it was really staggering that the Philly game, and again, this is preseason, we're overreacting to two games, but that's the biz, folks. Um, I thought it was unbelievable how Pritchard, in about two minutes, already took Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters and everybody else's like backup guy. Like that was so obvious that he is just better than both those guys. And the size thing is where it glaringly kind of jumps out to me. Like I, as much as I love watching, you know, Tremont Waters at five foot nine, you know, go out there and navigate, you know, his way around, you need to have size. And, and it's as smart as Tremont is, and he's super smart. And I think he'll be a great coach someday. Cause I think he just sees the game differently than a lot of guys do. You need size, and Pritchard's size makes him a much more attractive uh, player for the Celtics. I feel way more confident about their guard, you know, the backup guard spots now that you they've gone from Kemba, Smart, Wanamaker, and Tremont Waters to Kemba, Smart, maybe the best player not named Jason Tatum in the preseason, Jeff Teague, and Peyton. Like, they've obviously upgraded there, and I, I was thrilled to see that. In Neesmith on the flip side, you know, I obviously want to see him just shoot a bunch of threes. But the other stuff on the floor, like, and again, as, as Brian mentioned, you know, it's been a while since he's played five on five. But as he got more comfortable, you could see the defensive stuff kind of come and go a little bit. He's a guy very active on the glass on both sides. His length is a problem on that end for a lot of people. You know, the jump shot's going to come and go. And, yes, you know, you know streaker, uh, street, shooters are streaky, you know, anyway. And as he gets more comfortable and more used to the NBA pace, I think he'll, he'll be better on that end. But the other stuff, little stuff that you want, you know, it, you know, competing defensively, competing on the glass are things that I, I, I think are really great. And, again, as this team gets healthier, you know, you're going to rely on those two guys maybe a little bit more than you want you to start. But as this team gets healthier and they kind of fill in certain things, I could see both those guys being, you know, solid players for this team, you know, nine, tenth guys down the road. The question is, you know, if you're relying on your nine, tenth guys, like how far you can really go. All right, in our last uh, five, six minutes here, I called for questions on Twitter, and I don't want to ignore them. We got about a dozen. We'll get to as many as we can, but let's go, you know, reasonably rapid fire anyway, and not two-word answers, but uh, any quick thoughts that any of the three or all three of us have, we can uh, mix them in. I think this one will be fairly quick. Brian, the director, says, do you think Ainge gets more help for the bench? I'd rather have Isaiah Thomas over half the guys we have now. Edwards turned out to be a bust. Uh, two quick thoughts on that. One, uh, doesn't look good for Edwards right now. There's no doubt about that. I think it's a little premature to call him a bust, but uh, it, it certainly doesn't look like he's anywhere close to contributing at an NBA level. That's for sure. He needs more minor league seasoning. And obviously the future of the G league in this uh, pandemic situation is unclear. As far as it, I get it, but like, there's a reason the guy doesn't have a job. Yeah. It's, I mean, you hope that someone gets hurt and he gets a shot somewhere this year. Um, but to be honest, it's a long list of free agents that you think would get a shot this year that are still unsigned. Um, so it's, it's tough. And, and they're certainly given once the, the depth chart at point guard here is very, very deep. So there's clearly not a, a spot for him on this roster at this point. 
Yeah, it's a hard note to Isaiah Thomas, love him to death, and to just address the depth thing. I'm going to back up Ryan Bernadoni for a second. That TPE's got to get used this year because oh, hundred percent. Yeah, you got to use it. There's no, it'd be a failure to to wait till next season to use it. Got to use it this year. Somebody to help out, score uh, at, on the at the bench level. I mean, that's just that's such a huge priority for them. Well, from Rick Horford returned via the TPE. Uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say he's uh, in OKC and they've absorbed that bad contract. But uh, building on that, fellas, let's quickly on the TPE, trade player exception, which is massive, nearly $30 million, as people know. And, uh, you know, you can't combine these things. You So if you want to look up what players would even be mathematically available to the Celtics, look at anyone who earns less than like $28.5 million, basically. Do you think this thing gets used before the trade deadline? Because we know it's not happening imminently. Do you think it gets used before the trade deadline? Do you think we're looking at next free agent or next offseason? Or do you think Danny actually doesn't use this thing? I mean, they're 100% using it. Um, you don't give up two second-round picks to get a trade exception and not use it. That would just be lunacy. Um, when they use it, we'll see. I, I, I agree that this year, if, if you're serious about making a run – being competitive in the playoffs this year. And maybe that changes if Kemba's knee is not right and he's out for the year or something like that eventually. Um, but if he's back, then you're using it. You're using the first two months to evaluate what you have on this roster. And then you see what teams fall out of it. And then you, you, you add a player, you add two players with it. Yeah. I, I like Houston. I like Houston um, just because when they trade hard, it's going to be a, a, a for sale sign there. Hmm. And I keep coming back to Eric Gordon. And I know he's injury prone, um, but that's a, somebody that they could use off the bench for some firepower. You have to tell Eric Gordon, like, hey, by the way, like you're coming off the bench. And he's done that a lot in his, his career for, for Houston, but they're going to need some firepower. I think Eric Gordon gives it to him. He can be okay defensively. Um, maybe the ball gets a little too stagnant when it gets in his hands, but they, it's somebody they can desperately use right there. You've written extensively about the TPE and options available to the Celtics B, Rob. Who in your – realistic wish list. I think it's important to frame it that way. So you couldn't say Giannis who in your realistic wish list, uh, you know, who's number one for the Celtics for you. I think best case scenario for the Celtics this year is Orlando starts blowing it up. If they fought the East race early and Aaron Gordon comes available. Um, I think that's a, uh, the price is, you know, he only makes, I think, like $18, $19 million a year. He's under contract through next season. That's a guy who could be in your closing five as a stretch five. So um, it fills in from that standpoint. It fills in from a defensive versatility standpoint. And, yeah, so it comes to price point. I think the I think the hope from a Celtics standpoint is that some of these, you know, smaller market teams that, you know, everyone thinks they're in it right now, that's going to change in February and March. And then at that point, if you're the Celtics, you have to hope that teams are looking to dump money in the middle, like ownerships are looking to cut payroll. And so the, maybe the asking price on a guy like Gordon comes down a little bit than what it was at this point in the off season, since they clearly that core, something has to change with that core there. Cause that's been in place for a while and nothing, they have done nothing with it. Celtics live says, well, there come a point if this core doesn't mesh this season, would they be open to trading away parts of it for a bigger piece? Tatum obviously being untouchable. I don't think we really need to spend time on this because we kind of already did. These guys uh, believe that Jalen Brown is more available than I do. When you start talking about a, a James Harden, for instance. Well, yeah, for Harden. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's but, like, but, not... that's, but, but that's the kind of bigger piece that I think this person's alluding to. Yeah. I and mean, that's really about it though. I'm not trading Jalen Brown and getting a bona fide superstar back. 
Um, and Harden's the only guy that kind of fits that description right now. But we'll see because, you know, watch Minnesota. You know, I don't know what <laughs> it's just a disaster out of Minnesota, probably. You know, watch out there, watch some teams that have high level players and, and, and can, you know, get is if they go south in a hurry, they can shake some to that tree and maybe land somebody. But, you know, if the, unless it's somebody really significant, I'm not trained Jalen Brown for anybody. From Brian, and I'll give this to Brian, predict the Celtics' most used rotation when everyone is healthy. So for the six games this year, that'll happen. Who do you like? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got, I think, Kemba, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Thompson are your starters. And then coming off the bench, you got Tice, you got Teague, you got Grant Williams. And then I think you got a wild card player X, whether that's Pritchard or Neesmith at that point in the year. Um, remains to be seen. And then to be honest, it's probably going to be traded player X. We'll put, cause I think that's, that's the veteran guy that comes in with the traded player exception at some point to, to fill in some of that gap at the bench. So that's a best case scenario. Here's kind of a worst from Kevin. Who is your crunch time lineup for the Celtics going into the first week of games? Oof. Um, smart Brown Tatum. That's easy. Um, Whoever's got it going better on a certain night, Tice or Thompson, I think is your fourth. And then the fifth guys, I think you, you just, we, should we just spin a wheel? Because I think it's, I think that's, the, that's going to be your answer on any given night. It's going to like, who, who's playing well? Who are you playing? What are the matchups? Um, I got, I got one. Uh, I got, I got, I got your, your normal, you know, Brown and Tatum. No question. I'm going to throw Tristan Thompson in there if he's healthy. And I got two wild cards. I got I got two wild cards for you. Okay. I would play Grant Williams, and pinning the score, I would play Jeff Teague because you need offense. And I love Smart to death, but sometimes he just shoots too much. And I need a guy that's going to get the ball to where it needs to go. And Jeff Teague does that pretty well so far. So worst case scenario, I guess is Teague, Teague Brown, Tatum, Grant, and and Tristan. But I think just a as a ending note on that, just play Grant Williams more. He does, he does a lot of good stuff. But fellas, let's not, let's not count out from Jay. What blackmail does Shemi Ojale have on Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens? <laughs> um, he, they he keep remembering that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's, it. that's, that's a good one time. That's it's, I mean, the, I understand the, the Ojale question. Like again, he wouldn't have been on this roster probably if Hayward came back just yeah. straight up. Um, at the and same he time, he already said that, right? And he's exactly so that's you know, it's, it's it is what it is. Um, Ojale would be fine as like if you're 12th, 13th, 14th man just to use as a specialist. The problem is when you ask him to do more than that, and that's obviously has been the Celtics the last few years. Um, and again, probably the first couple months of this season, so we'll see he'll get his chances. But, um, yeah, once he gets back to just a specialist role, that's fine, that's that's perfectly fine. And that's if you're gonna have him at the end of the bench. Darth says, is anybody else tired of Ainge drafting scrappy, e.g. undersized guys who can't shoot? Darth, that was the whole point of this draft. They drafted guys who historically can shoot. Yeah, you literally got two of the best shooters in the draft. So that's, um, again, we'll, I mean, we'll see if it translates to the NBA, but it's that they certainly help themselves or should try to help themselves on that front. Carson uh, was supposed to shoot. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Very true. I, I feel like I'd be remiss to, uh, you know, to fail to mention, obviously, you mentioned before Gordon Hayward, we haven't even, it's, I guess it's not relevant to us anymore, you know, in this podcast, but, you know, it, it feels 
I don't know, somewhat pertinent. He's hurt again. <laughs> and his, you know, his, his Hornets career basically has not even started. The poor guy has fractured a finger. He is, he's day to day, but obviously, you know, missed the duration of the preseason. I have no idea, quite frankly, where he stands going into the regular season. Maybe you guys do, but uh, just the, I, I, he seems like a good guy. I don't know on any sort of personal level. He seems like a good guy. And obviously lucked himself into a, uh, a mega contract. So no one's going to be crying poor quite literally or figuratively for Gordon Hayward. He's, he's doing fine, but I, I do feel for him. I would like to see a resurgent year out of Gordon Hayward. And it's just, it's, it's like, he's still in Boston. It's picking up the wrong way. Yeah. I, I you know it. Like that's, it's, it's a shame. You'd like to see what he can do. If actually a healthy slate of games for once in the last four or five years of his career. But, um, I mean, we'll see. It sounds like he might try to play through this, so hopefully it doesn't hold him back too much. But um, certainly not ideal to be starting your new home with uh, a broken finger. I feel bad. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> Pretty much what it is. Well, folks, games are starting. Real games that matter that actually count on Wednesday, which is, uh, again, for us right now, just a few days away. 7.30 first game against Giannis and the Bucks, And then uh, Christmas Day, you got... Kyrie Irving theoretically playing at the garden in a game that actually counts after he finishes spreading sage everywhere. He will play. He and Kevin Durant, uh, no one will be there to watch. So does a game actually happen? Yes, it will be televised. So theoretically, and uh, I expect he will be out there playing this game against a former team, something that has not happened in years. And then uh, back to backs, uh, not days wise, but games in Indiana to, uh, you know, mark that first road trip, the 27th and 29th. And uh, then it's back home and on to Detroit for a couple of games and so on and so forth, getting us into January. So it's going to be a, a jam-packed, top-heavy, condensed schedule that Brad Stevens and others have talked about. It's going to be interesting. It's going to give us a whole lot to talk about. And I'm just uh, I'm excited that it's coming back. Basketball's on the way, and it matters again. I'm so pumped. Fun. So pumped. All right. Good stuff. B Rob. Thank you so much for hopping on. Remember uh, B Rob is uh, not just a friend of ours who, uh, you know, has been kind enough for years to hop on this show. He also has a podcast of his own as part of the CLNS media network. That is the winning plays podcast with Michael Pina, who is, uh, you know, the, the man is just, he, he writes everywhere and he's got another new gig and uh, Rich Levine part of that show still. And so make sure you check those guys out. Uh, anything that people should know as far as checking out the winning plays show. Yeah, I mean, we'll have a season preview episode coming up uh, probably by Tuesday here. So stay tuned for that. And, you know, weekly might go up to two episodes all year long. So in the middle of the week. So it should be fun listening all year. Show off. Shout out to Pina. Sports (laughs) Illustrated. Mr. Mr. SI, Michael Pina. Way to go, buddy. Just remember, because we've just done a season preview show, listen to this one before you listen to B-Robs. That's all. Like, listen to them both. No, you can listen to them both. It's, well, you can no, listen to this listen, one on listen. Monday and then listen to Winning Plays Tuesday. Like, because, yeah, listen, yeah. Listen, listen to them both. Just listen to this one first because it came out first. And then <laughs> listen to B-Robs. And, uh, and, and you get the, uh, the, the hashtag peanut perspective coming at you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna, I like it's that. Great. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Enjoy uh, everybody else. Have a, a very... Happy holiday season, obviously, if you celebrated Hanukkah. Hope it was a, uh, a, a wild eight crazy nights for you. And on to Christmas, just a few days away. Have a very Merry Christmas. Most importantly, be safe and, uh, and just enjoy all the family time before the new year comes around. Basketball is approaching, folks. 
We will be back with you coming up in a matter of days as well to look back, reflect, and look forward and enjoy and all of that good stuff. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. My woman.